Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today on the show, we've got Tom and Don Jordy from South Africa, uh, from Johannesburg, South Africa, to be specific. And they are going to come on with us to talk about um, their life as DTC trainers um, and the, and Tom specifically, some of his practices that he's been employing as a trauma-informed counselor in um, schools there in South Africa. And so one of the reasons that we love Tom and Don so much, one, uh, we just, they're, they're just the most likable people on earth. And so you'll find that, you know, five minutes in, um, I, I could not breathe. I was laughing so hard. Um, if you listen to the last episode that the Geordies were on, heard the story of Tom breaking his ankle and the the update to that story is outrageous. So definitely, definitely listen if for nothing else than for that, that update and that story. Cause it is so funny. Um, sorry, Tom, but I will also say one of the other reasons that we love Tom and Don so much is they have just used, uh, things to their advantage and, and allowed, um, both technology and just the, um, the opportunities that came up during COVID to advance their work, um, all over the continent of Africa, even into Asia as well. And we'll hear about that um, in the episode today. And so uh, just a really, really interesting, fun episode with them. They're going to talk about everything from uh, Dawn implementing a bunch of um, ETC, TBRI practices into their home um, as a homeschool teacher to their four kids. And they're also going to talk about uh, Tom's work as a trauma-informed counselor in schools and some of the work that he's been doing in creating um, trauma-informed classroom policy and um, coaching and consulting other um, principals and school leaders on how to do that well in schools around South Africa. So uh, they're just two of our favorites. Again, we're, we love them. We're so glad they were able to come on with us. And you're going to love listening to them and um, just learn a ton today about just practical application, implementation of these principles into real life. So here they are, Tom and Don Jordy. Well, we said uh, in the introduction that we were going to have uh, our guests, Tom and Don Jordy from South Africa, and we were not lying. They're here with us tonight. And um, uh, full disclosure, you might have heard us laughing as we started recording because uh, we were deep in conversation and I had not started recording yet. And so we're going to run back through some of what we talked about earlier, and you'll get to hear that now. Um, Tom and Don, for people who don't know you guys, um, why don't you give kind of a just a brief background on, on how you got connected to ETC and then um, sort of where where you are professionally and in, in life during the days and stuff. Okay. Um, so I think our journey probably started around eight years ago um, with uh, our eldest was adopted. He's now nearly 11. Nearly 11. Um, so like many of us, we jumped into this, this boat thinking, Oh, you know, I'm a parent. I can do this. I've got the skills. <laughs> and then you start to realize, hold on a second. My, my tool belt is, feeling a little light and it's, I'm not coping here. And I think we came across um, the Connected Child and then we came across and empowered um, to connect. It was the... I just have to say, like, I was in a very, very dark place. Like, mm-hmm. it, was, it, was, it was like a deep, dark hole. Yeah. Um, and I read the Connected Child and it just, like... I just felt like this ray of hope mm. that just like shone over that darkness. And we just never looked back from, from that moment. Yeah. Um, we yeah. just grabbed every 
book and every uh, snippet and podcast and conference and whatever we could. Um, yeah, we're now those people who take photos of our book collections compared to other people. <laughs> it was one of the simul. <laughs> it was one of the simulcasts we went to, and then I think from there it was just, hey, let's let's get trained up better in this. Let's see if we can actually get over to the states and. And we did, um, and we managed to do that, and we got trained up as ETC trainers, uh, came back here, um, ran, a, ran a few courses, and then COVID hit, and then I was fortunate enough to train as a TBRI practitioner. Um, and, yeah, so apart from our normal day-to-day family of four kiddos, three by adoption, um, I am a wellness counselor and a trauma practitioner working predominantly with kids at school um, and another private practice. And then we run a, a non-profit that also seeks to raise awareness um, for the need for adoption, foster care and child protection and equipping equipping parents now, obviously, with the nice um, ETC side of things. And, and yeah, and also we, we try to raise funds for, for families who are looking at adoption need help with funding for that or have other specific needs um, with the kids that they they currently look after on that. Um, so not yeah. much. Not much. Not <laughs> much. No, no. Not much. <laughs> I mean, you know, and the, the whole ETC thing just led Tom to do a complete career change and he's spent the last two years getting a whole new degree. And, you know, just... It's just all your because. fault, JD. I'm blaming you. <laughs> I'm we in were. competition with you. <laughs> so we were. I do think our families would go toe-to-toe on busyness, like just on, on things that we have going on in life. And uh, we have four kids also. And it's just, uh, well, okay. One question I have, a follow-up question. People who listened to the last episode with you guys heard about your ankle. And, and you broke your ankle early on in COVID. And I don't... <laughs> Yeah, I want to Did you know that he broke the other foot a year later around exactly the same time? <laughs> okay, right. Let, let's just full disclosure here. The first ankle was broken because I was employing the tactics of playful engagement, jumping from a social distancing sticker to another social distancing sticker. The second broken ankle was again playful engagement when we were playing The Floor is Lava and I was running after my son and discovered that my body cannot take the impact of the four stairs going down outside. And, um, yeah, so so that happened. And then I got COVID. So <laughs> While his foot was still in the cast. <laughs> I was very grumpy. I, I think it, no, I think at one point nice I, flung, I flung my crutches and the, and the rubber bit on the end it actually <laughs> flew over the tree. But the irony was I couldn't walk then because it was just a metal stub on the floor. So I had to go and buy more rubber stoppers. <laughs> Honestly, can't make this stuff up. So, yes. Um, but my foot is fine. Thank you very much. Um, I am now permanently wearing tackies because I find that I can't wear smart shoes because they hurt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, will you tell? But they are cool. They're blue, so I do look pretty cool. So, people who are people who are not familiar with the term tackies, will you explain what that is? Uh, sneakers, so yeah, your running shoes. Yes, <laughs> I, I feel like we might need some more support than that. We can talk about that after the call, though. Um, so we 
I, so I did not realize there was such a loaded question when I, <laughs> I asked something. Um, but I'm glad to hear that it's healed. I'm glad to hear that uh, there was no further damage to the crutches or anything else. And so um, that's, golly, that's great. So, uh, Don, you, you mentioned, you know, uh, before we start recording, you are the headmaster of Geordie Academy at home, right? Um, yes, I am. You homeschool. And so what if we, I, I wonder if we could start there, like, um, in in the kind of the homeschooling setting, and obviously you've got kind of a community of folks that you uh, do that with, and that's you know pretty common, I would say, among uh, our listeners, and and uh, especially within the U.S., we know of this kind of cohort model and all of that with with homeschool. Mm-hmm. So, what have you found when when you guys began going through this? I guess it would have been before it would have been before your you know kids were really school age necessarily, right? Your, your ETC beginnings. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think our youngest was like two. Yeah. And the other one was four at the time. How do you, when you guys think about like the way that homeschool operates now and the things that you are are trying to help with other folks who are just getting started in that journey as well, like, are there some things you can point to that you say like, man, these are, these are some principles that we've seen employed within, uh, the homeschool setting that have really been a game changer for us. Uh, as it relates to ETC and with, you know, being trauma-informed? Yeah, I would say probably for me, the biggest thing that I had to do was drop all expectations. Mm. Um, you know, there's some wonderful homeschooling families out there that do these incredible things and they have this, like, they have this schedule where they start at eight and they finish at one and that's the school day. And then they have like, bam, 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 like everything lined up and we do this and that and the next thing and the next thing. Um, and Are we not doing that? <laughs> so Tom's not at home for most of the day. <laughs> Sorry, surprise. Um, I know he knows this. Um, and I think it can be incredibly disheartening when you're parenting um, kids had trauma and you're you're trying to employ all these incredible things that other people are doing so well mm. and you're just watching them you know fail not I mean fail is maybe not a, a great word but you know something as simple as um other families like take for granted how difficult like something as simple as a read aloud time now I was I was so like oh my word read alouds like we're gonna be the read aloud family you know um, I love the Read Aloud family, so nothing against them. But the minute I tried to get all my kids to sit down and listen to one story together, it was it just didn't work. It just didn't work because I have different levels of sensory issues. I have different levels of kids that are, like, incredibly active and then kids that are not. And, I mean, you know what it's like trying to keep the hyper – hyper child to sit down and read and even even when they say but it's okay you can let them go off well it's not you know when the child is outside jumping on the trampoline and like two of them are at your feet and one of them's down the hall you know doing whatever um and I you know there were expectations like that that I just had to I had to let go of um because they just they just didn't work for our family um and I think that it's okay it's okay to say, you know what, these are the things we can do. Um, for us, we've had like a non-negotiable on maths and English. Um, that has to happen. And other, the rest of the time, it kind of is a very fluid 
um, schedule. There's no, like, you will sit down and you will do this and you will do that and, you know, it just doesn't work. Um, and so, yeah, I think releasing yourself of those burdens, if you will, I think is the, is the best mm. thing that you can do. And I think yeah. you've looked at, like, an, more of an interest-based learning approach as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Which often, I mean, typically our kids, when we send them to school, it's like you need to fit into that mold and you need to fit into the system and everything about them just doesn't fit, you know. And when you can sort of piggyback on an interest, um, it really helps. I think. Yeah, yeah. Like, our, um, you know, our 11-year-old, almost 11-year-old, he is absolutely baking and cooking mad. Like, he just loves to be in the kitchen. And so we just fly with that. You know, and it's not your traditional, like, oh, let's all sit down and read or, you know, it's a lot more, so a lot more practical things. We do a lot more practical things than um, hours of book work. If, yeah. Mm. yeah. He's making fried chicken tomorrow night if you want to come around. I would love to. I'll be there. Yes. <laughs> um, and then, you know, Tom, with your work, obviously being in schools, one of the things that you mentioned you're starting to do is, is, help begin helping to, uh, you know, train teachers and, and give classroom suggestions for uh, more trauma-informed spaces. Do you want to share more about that with us? Yeah, I think, I think in classrooms, typically in South Africa, you know, teachers have gone through a process, they've got their degree and, well, they've got whatever qualifications allows them to get into a classroom. And I still think by and large, it's very traditional. Um, most of the approaches, at least from their training, I would say it's probably similar to what you were trained in 20 years ago, yeah. you know? Um, so it's really up to the school, I think, to, to be quite front-footed and think, okay, where, where's education going? Um, are we going to keep doing the stock standard thing or are we going to think out of the box? Are we going to look at interest base? Are we going to... You know, um, are we going to look and try and connect subjects? And, you know, why do we do these subjects? And, you know, is this child just have to sit in these straight rows? Or is this, is this child going to wear headphones or, or bounce on a ball or, or be able to play with something, fidget or, or, ha or have gum or um, eat every now and then, not just because he or she happens to have diabetes. Um, but that's very much, you know, reliant on the people who are running the schools if they have really caught on to this idea of we don't have to do things the same way for the next 50 years like we've done them. And actually, we can't, um, regardless of COVID. Now we're finding kids who are a whole new level of, um, you know, experiencing anxiety and dealing with stuff and dealing with stuff at home. So I find definitely um, with teachers, more and more they are less able to employ these very traditional ways of doing stuff. And I think their, their traditional expectations of you're in a class, you sit down and you just follow me, I think those ideas are getting harder and harder to, <clears throat> to implement in a classroom setting. And they're having to become more flexible. They're having to question what is going on here. Is there a sensory issue here? You know, when a child is, is ADD, you know, how does that look in my classroom? Um, yeah. And I think they're, they're more and more having to say, how can I make things fit for this child rather than force this child to fit in 
the way it has been. Um, and, and so I, I do think there's, there, there is a, an increased awareness in that. And, and I think there's an increased appetite in schools, which is great, um, yeah. because they, they, they're realizing that they, they, there is this need to understand that you know, not all kids are the same, not all kids come with the same baggage, not all kids have the same needs or, or you know, have behaviors that are just because they want to push the teacher's button. Sometimes they literally, they can't. And, yeah. um, you know, so I, I do think there's a little bit of a movement forward, but it is reliant on the people running the show, the captains of these ships, to have an appetite for it. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah. And as you've started to do that, uh, have you found there's been a few simple things that you've begun to implement that have been more successful than others or easier as an introduction for others, like things inside the classroom? Are there school leaders who have been, you know, there seem to be some principles that, that take on faster than others. Yeah, I think for me, what I've always loved is this, you know, this idea of what is the need behind the behavior. Yeah. Um, and I think what is, I mean, just this week we were looking at um, a particular child who had a very erratic week and this idea of, okay, well, let's, we're going to have to partner with the parents. And I think this idea of something's wrong with child X, fix it, you know, I don't think it's ever been a very successful approach, but now I think there's more of a, a buy-in to this idea of the child is a product of he or she getting up in the morning, having breakfast, on the way to school. How are they uh, experiencing that transition from home to car, from car to school, into the classroom? How are they experiencing the noise at home? Are they having breakfast? Um, you know, parents are having to look at, you know, the, those sort of, of things as well. And, um, and just for, for this particular child, this idea of look, looking at, I think we did it as well, this, this, the, this idea of a, a behavior journal. Not, not, yeah. not um, what they have is, uh, what do they have is like? Daily report. Daily report things, which is basically like, did you behave? Tick yes or no, and then they say what happened. Mm -hmm. It's more of a everybody coming together and going, right, let's try and find something let's just map out this child's entire week or two weeks and try to figure out, are there any triggers here that we can work with? And I think it's, it's, it's more of an approach of how do we best support you rather than how do we effectively punish you? Um, and I think, I think that is just such a connected approach and it's, a, it's a, an approach I think that brings everybody in, the teachers, the parents, um, but also the kids as well. So, you know, you know, you're not a problem. You just might, Need a need to have one of your needs met better, and we're going to try and figure it out with you. And and so I think that for me is always it's always guided when I'm in interaction with kids is what is the need here? There's always a need behind the behavior. It's not just behavior. And I yeah. think that's 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 a drama that I always try to to bang with teachers. And you know, and I think from a sensory perspective, just to create a bit of awareness of what's what's going on in their world, and um, perhaps looking at it from, from that way and not just, not just the behavior, not just this is happening. Um, yeah. So I think for me, it's always that, that need portion is, is, it's a very interesting question to ask and just for them, then to sort of partner with you, with the parents, with the child and sort of, okay, I'm, I'm going to look, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out, be a little investigator here. And I, I think that has been quite a practical and helpful tool. That's great. 
as far as within the house, so at, at home for you guys, uh, this has been um, an incredibly hard season for humanity, right? For any of us who have been on planet Earth the last two years, this has been uh, a really, really hard season. Um, why don't you guys talk about maybe some some ways in your home that you've seen, um, you know, maybe uh, something has flared up and then you've figured out a way to kind of, you know, investigate and figure out what's going on and and to, and obviously without, sh- not oversharing, obviously, um, but have there been things that you've noticed these last two years that have been practices and, and kind of tools, so to speak, that have helped you along the way to get through this time in COVID? Yeah, um, so funnily enough, I was watching one of the, um, what is it, the, the new module things that are, I'm sorry, why have oh, I forgotten yeah. the name? Yeah. <laughs> <Off the bench. laughs> yes. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm so sorry. Don't take my badge. <laughs> <laughs> it's too far of a trip, I can't. And, um, and you know, JC uh, actually said something that was such a light bulb moment for me because mm. I hadn't really thought of this sort of and wouldn't want to call it an issue but something that was going on with with one of our kiddos um she said something about one of her kids personalities drastically changed during COVID and it it hit me because I thought oh my goodness there's someone else out there who's you know we have one specific uh, our probably um most sensitive child who, you know, generally she was okay socially and and things were fine before COVID. Mm. And then COVID hit and, um, you know, she was always sensitive before. Mm -hmm. But, you know, through those two years, it got to a point where, you know, if people came to the house, she wouldn't come out from her room. She would, you know, she won't sit at a table with us. She will... um, she kind of avoids all social contacts if she can. Um, and I think over the last two years, I didn't really think of it as a, as a COVID thing. I thought, I, I don't know, I was trying to figure out, like, what is going on with her, and that kind of just hit me, and I was like, oh, my goodness, this is, this is what's happened, mm-hmm. you know. And I just, I, you know, because we're homeschool, I didn't, I didn't really think that it would affect my kids that much right you know we're at home anyway um but I suppose just the fact that we couldn't even see the regular people that that we see on a daily basis which Mm -hmm. are like grandparents and aunties and uncles and the few homeschool friends that we connect with um yeah so it's we've had to have an like extreme amount of grace for the for for this child like mm. like an extreme amount and yeah. we've had to like coach our other kids through having an extreme amount of grace for her as well which is you know it's it's been hard it's been difficult you know for uh, for us <laughs> we have like yeah. Yeah. you know able to regulate our emotions somewhat and then right. for your like you know the the other ones in the house who really have um not you know such a great ability to do that so um yeah it's and it's just been it's been pulling her close so sorry all that to say it's yeah. really been keeping her close in the moments where it's been the most difficult mm. to do it because the behaviors have just been you know just really hard um 
but I know when I pull her close, she's a totally different child. Mm. I can I can turn her mood around within three seconds if I can just calm myself down enough to pull her into my lap and help her calm, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, so I don't know. Do you want to add anything to that? No, I think that is it. I think we've, we've underestimated how being at home and limiting our interaction with people is actually affected our kids um you know it's affect, it's affected us uh you know, going out i mean now when we don't have to wear masks anymore um yeah. i think we were the last country in the world to drop that um but i still remember the day i first put on a mask and i was at a in a grocery store and there was two of us and it felt yeah. weird yeah you know um but now the reverse is happening where it's like I need to pull this thing off and, and I feel just as weird. And, and what I found with young people as well, which was interesting, I, I know sort of going to the adolescent age and, you know, you've, you, they wear more hoodies and they cover their head and, you know, trying to hide from the world. Um, but now they, they can't really wear this mask. You know, all of a sudden they had this extra layer of, of, of um, spy gear that they got to put on and hide from everything. And now you've, you've had this two years of not being used to people, and now you've had this, this, this mask pulled off, so they're just stuck with their hoodies again, but they're a lot more sensitive. Um, so I think that being at home and not being around people, that has been quite a, a jump for us. So like, okay, so now when we're going out, we have to be more sensitive and, and more aware. And, and yeah, I think, I think it's – and I think that's been across the board with many families as well, just – navigating that because and I think that's where this this helps this understanding of where our kids are it, it's building empathy in parents and building a capacity to like to draw yourself towards yourself in the moment and going they need this I need to be the the thermostat and not the thermometer and even though at the moment I'm frustrated um I need to pull you close and and I think that's perhaps been quite a useful thing for parents because typically you just say, oh, get over it. But now you've got kids where you really can't say that. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, you, okay, so Don, you touched on something that I that I want to talk more about because I'm, you know, it is something that affects, I would say, uh, our family personally, and we know a lot of others in the situation, but when you have a large family and you have somebody who's struggling in particular, that can be a wild challenge because mom and dad might be tuned in to... Um, that child's needs and knowing, okay, we've got to figure out a way to regulate, whatever. Um, asking the other kids in the house to also be, you know, ETC uh, appropriate um, uh, support systems in that time is hard, uh, if not impossible. So I wonder if there's been some things that you guys have found that that have helped, whether it's like, you know, either little catchphrases or scripts or something like that, um, or, or even maybe some like systems you guys have put in place to kind of help in, in teaching your kids how to support each other. Be kind. <laughs> that's a script. Be kind. That's, that's, that's one of, and, and, and it is a big thing because other kids don't, they get very cross and they can flip their lids properly. Um, and, and you're right. It's like, well, you guys signed up for this stuff. And, and you know, we, this is this is your deal. And, and yeah. you can engage and empower and connect as much as you want. But right now, I want to throw my sibling in the pool. Right. Um, yeah, another, so another 
um, realization that I had just over this whole thing as well is that I had to take ownership of some stuff because I started to realize. So, you know, we spent it at least, although we came across the ETC stuff when our young, middle, youngest second was about two or three, you know, I'd say it took us a good couple of years to really like flip sort of the way that we were thinking and the way we were parenting. So our older two were, were very much, you know, raised in a, in a bit more of a traditional parenting way. And I had a moment where I looked at them and I said, you know, they are not tolerating in her the stuff that we wouldn't tolerate in them. And it was, it was quite a big thing to, you know, to, to recognize that. And then to say to them, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that we couldn't deal with that in you. And it's really hard. And I know that it's hard for you guys to see that behavior and to feel like we're letting it slide or we're being too lenient or, um, you know, so I'll, I'll often kind of say to them, well, what, what would you like me to do? You know, I want to see where their heads are at. Mm. What do you think I should be doing here? You know, um, because I know that they don't want us, that they don't believe in spanking for sure. Like, Right. They they got spanked as kids, you know, before we knew any better. Sure. Um, but I know that in those moments, they are like, you need to deal with this. Like, you need to, you need to be hard and you need to, you know. Sorry. So I'm like, oh, let me own that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that, I mean, I think that that, we, uh, we find ourselves, and it's funny because I think, and I don't know if y'all are the same way, we could find, we got four kids and I could probably tell you four different moments in where all three had to support one of them. Right. So like none of them are, none of them are perfect. Um, and, uh, sometimes like situationally, um, they all do better than the other in, you know, depending on what the environment is like. Right. And so they all have different triggers. And so I say all that to say like, there are just different moments throughout the day where we find ourselves like, yelling or like uh well i don't know what the right phrase is like um like either yelling scripts to the others as we're trying to support the one who's in distress (laughs) (laughs) or we find ourselves looking back and being like now you understand that is not how we do this this is about like as if they're co-parents with us like that is not how we parent this child (laughs) but i think it it does you know we've we've had those moments of self-reflection too to say like you know, we've got to find ways, uh, particularly when we have, we, we have some who are more sensitive to others when there's other kids in the room and then some who don't want to be isolated. So, I mean, there's, there's just these moments for each of them. So knowing them and knowing what they need kind of helps us in those moments to prepare, but it takes a lot mm-hmm. of like conversations outside of, outside of those, you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't, I hate war analogies, but it very much in those moments feels like you've got, <laughs> you've got the missile, the missile sirens going off and you've got to very quickly get everybody to their stations, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, I don't know if you guys have other thoughts besides that of like things that in a big family that, that have worked for you guys. I think what, what is also important is handling things outside of the moment. Um, mm-hmm. I think not, not a case of, oh, you just wait till mom or dad comes home. Not that sort of thing, but you know, yeah. I, I think I've tried 
to take kids out individually on, on little dates, you know, and, and also to try to go, hey, how are we doing? You know, not just our relationship, but, you know, as parents, like how are you perceiving us? Um, how are you seeing us with your siblings? Um, you know, and in those moments where emotions are not elevated, um, having honest conversation and also giving them voice, allowing them to be, you know, frustrated or in those moments when they're exploding because, you know, one of their siblings has just stolen their sweets for the four millionth time or something like right. that, you know, they're allowed to be upset. They're allowed to be frustrated and to, to give voice to that frustration and, and to, to value that. Um, and then, and honor that, but also honor the fact that this other child's not doing it to be, to be mean or horrible. But a lot of the time, right. I think those conversations, you kind of need to hold space with them in the moment. And then once things subside, then I find it a lot more effective to go, look, I know that that hurt and I know that was upsetting, but you've got to understand that this is what we are dealing with. And, um, you know, so, so they still feel like they're allowed to feel, you know, because they're still, also still kids, you know. Um, so then giving voice to all of them can be challenging and valuing their voice all the time can, can be challenging. I find out of the moment it's, mm. it perhaps is, is, is a bit easier. We, we've tried, we, well, tried. We do it with our older two, maybe like, maybe like once a term, not as often as we'd like. Um, a term is like a school, I don't know, semester. Mm. Um, and the younger two are not, not really part of that conversation. But we will have an evening where we sit them down and we just say, hey, is there anything that you want to say? How, how are we doing? How are we doing as parents? Like, how are you feeling? Like, you know, is there anything that you would like us to do less of or, you know, do less of, do more of? And mm. um, those have been very valuable, um, you know, because I think we've had, a, we've had a few fights where in the middle of heightened emotions, one is like, you have said that I have a voice and now you are not, you know. And in, in that moment, we have to be like, okay, he's right. He's right. He's right. Stop. Listen. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think it's definitely, we're all in this. Obviously, there are parents in the situation, but at the same time, also some of our, our kids are getting a bit older now as well and they're trying to sort of, discover their, their own authority and their, you know, yeah. how, 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 how much um, autonomy do they have and, and all the rest of it. And, mm. You know, and, as, and we're also discovering, you know, what it's like to have a teenager. You know, we're, we're, this is, you know, the first time we've, you know, so, and, and I think we've also been quite honest with that, going, hey, you know what, I haven't done this before and I'm going to make mistakes just as you're going to make mistakes. And we just, we, we kind of need to just, just cover each other in grace a little bit. Um, you know, I'm going to try my best and I, I do give you access to say, hey, you know, with respect, please, um, you know, if you're, if, if you're missing a mark or, or something like that. Um, but I think what's also very good is we're the ones who say sorry first. Um, mm. I think that's very important. I think you have, you have to model that. Um, yeah. You know, I think we, we, we often are expecting behavior of our kids that, if we were to sort of step outside our bodies, we'd be like, whoa, 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I, and that is a, that is a challenge. Um, yeah. And when we don't meet the mark, to I'm I'm sorry, I dropped the ball there. And yeah. when they don't want to forgive you in that moment, that's okay. You know, right. trying very hard to breathe through, wanting to pull it all back. Right. <laughs> you don't deserve my apology. I'm taking it back. That's right. <laughs> you, you don't accept it. Well, never mind. It's not yours to accept anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I think that's, golly, that is so much of, so much of parenting. And we talked about this with uh, Jesse last week on the, on the show about repairing. So much of that uh, repair work is, is just being planted in the ground, right? We're not going to see the fruit from that until. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes you're kind of like, hey, I've planted a whole lot of seeds and I don't see <laughs> that's coming up yet. Is it still, you know, where's my harvest? Into the soil, right? <laughs> Fruits taking, you know, so um, I think that is, yeah, I think that is so wise. Um, so shifting gears, kind of last last thing I want to talk about was, you know, you guys mentioned, uh, and you, we've talked before about when you were, um, COVID was beginning to uh, shut things down. And uh, I, God, I think it might've been you guys were the first ones we talked to um, when stuff really hit the States was a few months after it had shut down in South Africa. And you were, we we were talking about, can we do this over to zoom? And you guys were like, Oh yeah, we're rolling. We got people from everywhere in our classes. Like, (laughs) um, so if you don't mind, would you mind just kind of sharing what maybe what some of your discoveries have been through um, being able to broaden that scope um, and how this content has been able to not just kind of transcend borders of countries, but even into different cultures and stuff as well. Yeah, I, I think what was nice is, you know, being allowed to go beyond, um, in, be, because because the course typically runs for, for for eight weeks, it's practically impossible for us to bounce, you know, to different provinces. We we kind of stuck with where we are, and yeah. people weren't really going to to come, you know, fourteen fifteen hours, right? Because they just can't do that. So it. it it allowed us to gain access to different parts of South Africa, to the Philippines, to Zimbabwe. You know, it even went out, as we mentioned earlier, as far as um, the Singapore and that. And, um, and that, was, that was great. It, it, it's a part, and it was nice also being in the middle because time zones also work better with South Africa. So it, it was nice that people further along had a in-betweener to, to sort of engage with. Um, so, so that was useful. And culturally, I, we found that it, it fitted in. Um, I mean, I think especially the, the folks from the Philippines, um, they were very interested in it. And it certainly gave them these moments where they just sat back there. I think they were specifically engaging with young people. Um, they wanted to like a more of a trauma-informed um, youth ministry uh, okay. type approach. And and for them, I think they, they, they really found value in, you know, the idea of, of unpacking the trauma and not just seeing the child, but seeing what has happened to this child so that they've arrived where they're at because of it. Um, I also love they um, they were so engaged with with the um, with the content and they I think one of the guys was an American pastor. Yeah, from Hawaii. Yeah, and um, and so they didn't just do the two hours on a Saturday. They actually met midweek yeah. all together to debrief on everything that they had yeah. heard wow. and 
Right. So I think like for people that maybe like English was their second language, they also had this guy that was kind of like the um, like mediator trying and things just tying things together. So, I mean, yeah. they really, like it was great. It was really great yeah. to see how they did. No, and I think that was great because they, you know, these breakout classes that you can obviously have on Zoom and that sort of thing, but in a two-hour session, it's, you know, it's right. it's accessible for the two hours and you can meet people because you're not sort of jamming it in over three days. But then that freedom to like, hey, we can do this online. We can we can take this online midweek. And would you mind popping in and, and sitting with us again in midweek? And it, it just opened up that access, um, which was really wonderful. I think one of the practicalities, because it's not um, person to, it's not in a room, um, people could hide. Um, and I think if you remember from your TV or Cheney, you're sitting there with like these, all of these little screens going, yeah, and you could, Every oh, yeah. now and then go, you're not focusing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? Um, so what we did actually find in person, I know when we were doing it with you guys, you know, this idea of keeping it small, keeping it intimate because you want to build relationships and that, what we did find quite useful is when it, when it went online, having a bit bigger of a group now actually became quite valuable because then there was more talkers and then they were drawing, whereas you couldn't do that Face to face in a little in a little room, yeah. But now because it was online, it, it did sort of um, initiate a lot more um, uh, conversations. And also, what I thought was also quite nice is a lot of those people perhaps wouldn't have been able to attend because so a couple of people who were running places of safety in orphanages and that sort of thing, they wouldn't have been able to leave where they were and come, you know, come to a training. Yeah. But you know, um, I mean people here who do that, but this particular uh, uh, lady from, from, from Zimbabwe who, who runs an orphan care ministry there um, didn't, have to, didn't have to leave what she was doing, you know? Yeah. And the value of that was the experience these people were then bringing into the room was just, was just amazing. So it wasn't just people talking and teaching. It was this whole sort of collaborative effect, and they could then bring in stories that, hey, you know what? And, and many of them had, had, had heard of TBRI and, and trained in it and they wanted refreshers and that. Um, and and I, think the, I think the one, the Zimbabwe lady actually had done ETC or something like that. Maybe a similar class. Yeah, yeah, years ago. It was just such a value add having people who are on the ground, you know, almost like almost partnering with you in, in this yeah. journey. And then you have all these other people who might be new to it. And they were able to lean on you, but then they also go, oh, well, your context is a bit more like mine. And, huh? and so it was actually great. And, it, and the online did allow for that. Um, so what was like, a, a, will this work, actually did start showing, actually there are some great pluses to this. Um, and then, you know, and the recording it and sending it out afterwards and that, it just, the, the accessibility of it was, was really wonderful, I thought. Yeah. I do think you guys are probably our, our furthest reaching uh, ETC trainers in terms of like the, the ground that you cover uh, in people in classes is, is staggering. It's been incredible. Um, guys, this has been really fun getting ca- caught up and, and talking about all of this. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, we will hope, oh, will you tell people about your podcast and where they can listen to it? <laughs> okay, so... Um... Our podcast, I think, only has like 10 episodes because when did, when did it stop? When it's we got, started studying? It's got two seasons. <laughs> All right. We went to season two and um, we are going to get going with it again. 
Um, much like Stranger Things, we're, we're building anticipation. Right, right, right. <laughs> but but you can follow the Grafton family because I do still keep the Instagram page going. That's but, right. Um, the podcast. The podcasts are, are there. They are there. <laughs> they are there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, as, just personally, I would just say it's enjoyable. You should go listen to it, and it will build your anticipation for season three. And so, uh, hopefully, that'll come soon. And hopefully, like Stranger Things, soon it'll open up huge endorsement deals for you guys and all of that. <laughs> and maybe we'll see you on some pizza boxes and that kind of thing very soon. <laughs> Coffee cups. Oh. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. Thanks, so JD. Thanks, JD. <laughs> Well, I told you we we're going to love Tom and Don, and uh, we certainly do. We're just really grateful for them coming on today. So thank you to them. Um, I will also say, uh, make sure that you check out their social media connected below in the show notes, but also um, listening to the Grafted Family podcast. You can put some pressure on them for season three on social media as well. Um, sorry, Tom. But also I would say um, the initiatives they are a part of, um, both in fundraising um, for adoption work in South Africa as well well as just um, the litany of things that they're involved in there are worth uh, your time and your consideration to give to. And so uh, you can find those links below in the show notes. Uh, I will say coming up, we have some big announcements in a few weeks that we can't wait to tell you about, um, but just what the appetite, we got some uh, merch coming and uh, some of the final t-shirt designs, water bottle designs have come through and they are great. So we can't wait to share them with you um, here in a few weeks and make them available for you to purchase. And so uh, as we work to just continue um, creating resources and um, and just equipping uh, parents who are um, in the field working day in, day out, uh, caregivers as well, we want to be mindful of uh, creating new content and getting new resources, new offerings out there. And so to do that, we are going to get creative in how we are able to fundraise for that. And so you'll hear more about that in a few weeks. And we are um, really excited for what's coming down the pipe. And so uh, I hope you are as well. In the coming few weeks, get some fresh new interviews, exciting folks we've got on um, that we have not had on yet before. And so we're pumped to have them and uh, you're going to love them. We can't wait to introduce you to them soon. So without any uh, else to say today for everyone at ETC from Owen Tana Ottinger for um, Kyle Wright, you edits and engineers all of our audio for Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the ETC podcast. I'm JD Wilson, and we will see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast. Bye.